Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. What OSHA did not do to protect workers in the pandemic. A damning report from the Department of Labor. Today on the show, Senator Sherrod Brown, the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, and it's our first Friday with Fred. Welcome to the Friday, November 4th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have three guests on the show today. In a few minutes, we'll be getting a call from Washington from Senator Sherrod Brown, longtime supporter of America's workforce, and uh, he's got a couple of things he's going to delve into. Number one, Janet Yellen, who is our U.S. Secretary Treasurer, was in Cleveland recently touring the new headquarters of Magnet. Now, what's Magnet? Magnet stands for the Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network. It's a nonprofit, and uh, the whole idea here is all about the CHIPS Act and uh, how Ohio is becoming the new Silicon Valley. You know, it wasn't too uh, long ago where all the tech companies were pretty much headquartered in Silicon Valley in California. That's not the case anymore. And this CHIPS Act, will support the next generation of Ohio workers, says Senator Brown, along with manufacturers and the companies they work with. And this will position Ohio to lead in the manufacturing of the future. That's one thing we're going to get into. We're also going to talk about the PACT Act. This is legislation named in honor of uh, Heath Robinson. Heath is a Central Ohio vet. Well, was. He was deployed to Kosovo in Iraq. With the Ohio National Guard, he passed away two years ago from cancer after being exposed to burn pits during his military service. That's a big issue. We've addressed that with the American Legion in the past couple of shows. And what Senator Brown has been doing is hosting roundtables in various cities with local vets to talk about their service and discuss how this new law is going to help them. And it's very appropriate, too, because... One week from today, it's Veterans Day. Dorsey Hager will be joining us. He's one of our longtime regulars, and he is the executive secretary treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. A couple things he's going to get into is the uh, announcement by Honda. This was last month that they would spend three and a half billion dollars building a new battery plant in uh, southern Ohio's Fayette County. And they're going to spend $700 million more to revamp other plants. Now, according to the State Department of Development, the battery plant will create over 2,500 new full-time jobs by the end of 2033. It will also retain thousands of jobs in Union, Logan, and Shelby counties as part of a tax credit. And they got a pretty good tax credit, 713 million dollars that's a 30-year tax credit it's a chunk of change but hey if it all works out it's worth it we're also going to get into the trades women build nations conference we did a show on this yesterday with uh, gina walsh 
on behalf of the uh, heat and frost insulators. Gina was the only woman in her local this back in, uh, what, 1979 when she decided to uh, become an apprentice in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, well, that was over 40 years ago. Things have changed, and since then, the Trades Women Build Nations Conference was launched, and uh, they had over 3,000 female registrants. And they're still counting because there's a lot of walk-ups there. But if you missed that show, that's awfpodcast.com. Dorsey's going to give us his take on the, that conference. And lastly, we'll get into uh, Election Day next Tuesday. And they're stumping for various candidates, including Tim Ryan for the U.S. Senate. And this being the first Friday of November, Fred Redman will be joining us. Fred, of course, the Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, longtime steelworker, 50-year steelworker. He's been uh, going around various states, especially the ones that are really close right now. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, let's see, Arizona's another one, and Georgia. And he'll pretty much run down what he is doing to make sure that our union brothers and sisters are fully educated on where the candidates stand. Speaking of the election, got to do a shout out here for Gay Henson. Now, Gay is a native of Tennessee. And she is secretary-treasurer of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. And she uh, did an op-ed piece in the Chattanooga Times Free Press last Friday in opposition to their ballot initiative aimed at enshrining right-to-work laws in Tennessee's Constitution. She wrote that the state's current right-to-work laws hurt all workers in Tennessee, both union and non-union, and that adding this travesty to the state constitution, a document that defines our rights, makes a mockery of justice and good government. She went on to conclude that Tennessee Constitutional Amendment 1 is about giving workers lower wages and less bargaining power. Don't settle for less vote no on that Tennessee Constitutional Amendment. It's my understanding, too, if they don't vote at all on that, it's still considered a no vote. And there's going to be a lot of people in that category because they're so ticked off with uh, both sides right now. Now, a brief look into the world of labor brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, the Department of Labor issued a report this week, and, and it found that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, better known as OSHA's Enforcement Activities, did not, did not sufficiently protect workers from COVID-19. The report highlights continuing issues since the start of the pandemic, especially concerning which COVID cases OSHA requires employers to report. The Inspector General's report also noted the lack of a COVID-specific rule for all industries. The report notes that OSHA should have required all employers to report all worker COVID infections, regardless of whether employees were infected on the job. OSHA's record-keeping rule also limits recording of an injury or illness to only work-related cases. I remember when that came up, and keep in mind, this was during the previous administration, which kind of downplayed COVID. Remember that? 
Well, according to the report, OSHA's requirements for employers to track and report COVID cases has been a source of friction between the agency and employers, and OSHA's requirement has shifted over time. Well, Marty Walsh is in the department right now, and he's trying to unwind everything, and that's primarily why this report has come out. Now, we do have some good news from the Labor Department for parts of uh, Kentucky, citing an unprecedented rise in energy costs, not just here, but around the entire world. Century Aluminum, the nation's largest producer of primary aluminum, announced plans in June of this year to curtail operations and begin the idling process at its Hawesville, Kentucky smelter until energy prices return to kind of normal. Well, here's what happened. By August, all operations had ceased at the smelter with layoffs affecting more than 600 workers. So to address the hardship, and this is is tough, caused by the temporary closure, the Labor Department announced the award of a grant totaling almost $1.8 million to the Green River Area Development District to provide employment and workforce training services for dislocated workers And let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven counties in Kentucky. It's supported by the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, and that's legislation that passed back in 2014. This uh, National Dislocated Worker Grant Program provides assistance to a state or local board to fund direct services and assistance in areas experiencing a major economic dislocation event. So hats off to the federal government for setting up the program and, more importantly, executing it. All right, let's go to line number one right now. Joining us on our live line is Senator Sherrod Brown, who was uh, recently in Cleveland. He's always going around various cities in the state of Ohio, but he hosted our Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, and they toured the new headquarters of MAGNET. Now, MAGNET stands for the Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network, And this was all to highlight the CHIPS Act, which the senator played a major role in. Senator, well, welcome to America's Workforce. This sounded pretty exciting. And maybe you can give us a little uh, insight into uh, what Magnet is all about. Go ahead. Well, we've done this show for years now. And one of the main themes of, of, of your questions and your comments and my comments have been how bad trade policy um, you know, the, 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 the outsourcing of jobs, shutting down production where I grew up in Mansfield, where I live in Cleveland now, causing Ohio to be called the Rust Belt, frankly, the, how the shutting down production, moving to find cheap labor in the south and Alabama and Arkansas, and then to pass NAFTA and PNTR China and move overseas. And um, finally, we have a White House and a president who's on the side of workers that's saying, we're going to have an we're going to have a manufacturing industrial policy. That means we're going to begin to bring those jobs back. The biggest cause for inflation is corporate greed, oil companies, drug companies raising prices and using the pandemic as an excuse and the supply chain that they build all over the world. So we haven't been able to get products and causing prices to go up. So clearly this manufacturing policy, bringing these jobs back is what, what it's all about. And we, we will, we will don't get rid of, finally get rid of that term Rust Belt. But that's, that's why Janet Yellen was there. That's why Magnet's doing what it's doing 
to re- help to reindustrialize, bring manufacturing back to Northeast Ohio and to the Midwest. We, we should point out, too, with all the policies that have been coming out of this administration, there's a distinct clause in there by American and in many cases go union that that eventually is going to take hold. But people don't I guess they don't understand that right now. I mean, they look at the to your point, they look at the fuel pump and they go, oh, my God, I'm going to blame Biden for that. But I'm just wondering, I know you do a lot of touring around the state and in various parts of the country. What are you hearing right now, Senator? Well, people are legitimately concerned about prices, and uh, it's you know it's easy to blame the new president. You don't think about the fact that inflation is worse than much of the rest of the world. And and to me, it's a, you always first look at what companies are doing what they're doing, and the oil companies, the drug companies, especially Wall Street, the meatpacking companies. There's only four companies essentially that that sell beef in this country. Uh, and they've all raised their prices dramatically using the re- using the pandemic as an excuse, using the new president as an excuse. And so yeah. um, we, we know all that's happening, yet we have a president now finally on the side of workers. Uh, the Buy America provisions that, that I wrote with a couple of others into the infrastructure law, the strongest ever Buy America provisions in American history. It means um, when you're doing, when, you, when you're driving on 7170 interchange and you're seeing all the, um, not far from my house and where I live in Cleveland, or you're seeing any of the infrastructure happening, uh, no more Chinese steel, no more going overseas to buy these products. It's going to be Buy America. And as you say, it's much more likely union jobs. Um, because we have a president that actually believes in unions. And that's and, and I, I was at a campus yesterday. I was in case and somebody brought this question up about about unions. Uh, the the young people, young people, this is the most pro-union generation um, in, in our lifetimes, Flash, in the lifetimes mm-hmm. of anybody listening, where overall the public is 70 percent pro-union, young people even higher. And that's going to matter. It's going to matter. You carry a union card. Your wages are higher. Your benefits are better. Your retirement's more certain. All of those things that come with that. One more here. We've got Veterans Day next to Friday, and I know you are very instrumental in the PACT Act. And uh, there's an Ohio connection to this. You've hosted a couple of roundtables in various cities. Can you uh, briefly share some of uh, some of the comments from those? Every week. Yeah, done probably a dozen roundtables already with veterans, uh, named after Ohio and Heath Robinson. Uh, who died from exposure to these uh, these burn pits, these football field size um, burning burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they burn everything from human waste to computer equipment to tires to everything else. And and uh, what what that we 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 wrote this bill. President Biden signed it. Uh, Fifteen conservatives voted against it, saying it costs too much to take care of them. They never say it costs too much to send them to war. Only when the men and women come home does it cost too much, they say. Um, and this is going to mean that anybody, 23 illnesses listed in this law that President Biden signed, if a, if a soldier or any, any, any uh, veteran who served in Afghanistan or Iraq gets is diagnosed with any one of these 23 illnesses, automatically they're eligible for care at the pharmacy buck or the the Ravenna community-based clinic or the Cleveland the Stokes hospital in Cleveland, any VA facility. And it's, it's what we should have done much earlier with agent orange. It's what we're doing to make sure that veterans get the care they need. And as I said, it's named after an Ohio and Heath Robinson, whose mother-in-law Susan Zier brought this to me five years ago. And we've been working on it ever since. Great job, Senator. I know you got to go. Thank you for joining us and we'll talk Thanks, next Fletch. month. Okay? Always buddy. Thanks. 
Again, Senator Sherrod Brown joining us on our live line. We're going to take a, a quick break right now. When we come back, Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or do both. AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to Central Ohio right now and join Dorsey Hager. Dorsey, longtime supporter and sponsor of America's Workforce. He serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org. You can follow him on Twitter at buildcentraloh. And how appropriate that is, because if you go to Central Ohio, there's a lot of building going on, a whole lot of building, and more to come, especially with uh, with Honda. Dorsey, welcome back to the show. Aren't you glad that the election season is almost over? I know you want to talk about that a little bit later, but you got to feel pretty good about that. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, um, election season's been a nice little reprieve for myself, some of our guys, um, you know, working with some of the candidates that we've endorsed, helping some of the candidates we're friends with uh, to get elected, which I know we're going to talk about later on in the segment. But it's been a nice little reprieve, but then you got to get back to your day job, and that's, you know, something that we're going to talk about, which is, you know, continuing to uh, to go out and meet with uh, either companies that are here or companies that are looking to come here uh, to get them to grow, to build, to expand, assuring them that we're going to get them the workforce needed so that they can do that, and then going out and getting that workforce. Well, I know you want to talk about the, the Honda situation, and uh, they're expanding the, uh, the vehicle plant, the assembly plant, and they're also going into EV production. I have to ask you, though, anything you can share with us on Intel? I know they broke ground on the facility. Anything new that you can uh, bring to the table? <laughs> Yeah, so they broke ground. They're uh, they're doing underground and stuff. Uh, they've got uh, contractors out there that are you know pushing dirt around, getting site prep ready. I know that there's a lot out on the street right now with the office buildings, with the wastewater treatment plant that's going to be there on site, with the uh, concrete batch plant that's going to be there on site. Um, you know, they've they've picked Bechtel 
as a general contractor, which Bechtel does mega projects all over the country. Uh, I think they did Planet Vogel, Planet Vogel. I think they did the plant Vogel, the nuclear plant down in um, down south, which was about an eight billion dollar job. Um, so they have great respect, great admiration, a lot of faith. And Bechtel, uh, the building trades, especially on the national level with Brett Booker and Sean McGarvey, have a very good relationship with Bechtel and work well with Bechtel. We're having weekly meetings with them, talking about gearing up to get people uh, ready for when this uh, gets going. But it looks like shortly after the first of the year, they'll start putting iron and steel in the ground and, and they'll start building up and out and um it's going to be an amazing project. You know, I know we've talked on the air before. I've been out to Arizona. I've been out to Portland. I'm looking to go out to Portland again in January with the insulators and Dan Poteet and his guys so that they can look and tour and get an idea of, of, of really what to see and what to expect. But, um, you know, like I've told you before, I've, I've toured both those facilities. I've seen it all. I've done everything I can to educate myself about the chip making process and, and Intel's expectations and everything. And, and I don't think even I have a firm grasp of what's to come. So it's going to be interesting. But I'll give you another little funny update on Intel. I spoke at the John Glenn College last week on Intel and workforce development, what the building trades is getting ready or is doing to uh, to, to meet those challenges for now and in the future. And as I was on my way there, I got a call from a local uh, uh, banker, big bank here in Columbus, and they said that they're working on investments right now uh, for right around 30 hotels in Licking County uh, to support the need uh, for people and, and places to stay. But also, you know, you're going to need those hotels uh, for Intel when they have travelers coming in, even after it's built, and also suppliers and stuff like that. And, you know, it was like, hey, we're looking at, uh, you know, investing and building these 30 hotels. You, you know, you're good with that. You're good to go, right? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, we'll build them. Absolutely. Go ahead. 30 hotels, 20 hotels, 40 hotels. $100 billion chip plant, you know, Facebook expansion, Google. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll take care of it all, sure. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's zero in on Honda now. And I just saw, I believe it was last week, they got a $71 million tax credit. And I know that's a lot of, a lot of, lot of change there, but you have to keep in mind this is spread over 30 years. It's going to create a lot of jobs. So I'd like to get your... Uh, I, I don't. I tell you, you your head's got to be spinning with so much going on over there in Central Ohio, and to to prep for this and 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 get your apprenticeship programs going on. But maybe you could run down what this is going to mean to the trade stores. Go ahead. Oh, I just think it's an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, and I said this again uh, at the Glen College in a presentation I gave. It's an incredible opportunity for us. It's an incredible opportunity for the trades. It's also a great opportunity for Columbus and Central Ohio. You know, we've talked about what we're doing with our apprenticeship readiness programs, and we're having discussions and conversations on a statewide level right now about expansion of those programs and partnering with other building trades councils and building trades leaders to reduplicate what we're doing here that's been so successful to reach out to the underserved community, um, people who are injustice-involved, females, vets, people of color, people who really haven't had an idea of what the building trades is and what they do. Um, you know, we've had great success in the inner city and the urban uh, climate. We're going to reach out, obviously, to not only the suburbs, but the urban area. And we're going to try to let some of these people who live in these counties where unemployment is high, workforce development is at a low, education is at a low. We're going to let them know if they get some of the soft skill training and some of this basic 
fundamentals of building trades core curriculum that will get them up to the level they need to be where they can get into our apprenticeship programs and get on that direct path to the middle class. And the Honda announcement is just another example of that. You know, you talked about the tax credits and you're absolutely right, but the jobs that it's going to create are going to be tremendous. The full-time jobs that Honda is going to employ down there, I think is right around 5,000 people to make these electric uh, vehicle batteries. The construction jobs are anywhere between 4,300 and 5,500. I think they're going to be on the high end because of the schedule. You know, I've been meeting with Honda for a couple of months, myself, Mike Nisley, uh, you know, working with them on what we're going to do to help them attract talent to build and maintain their facility, not only down there in Fayette County where they announced they're going to be in Jeffersonville, but also the $700 million with expansion they're going to do in the three plants in Logan and Union County uh, to get ready for this as well. So I think they're very appreciative of our efforts. They are happy what we're doing and, and our relationship that the Building Trades has had with Honda for over 40 years now since the first time they stuck a shovel in, in Marysville. But you know, the construction jobs that it's going to create are just tremendous opportunity. This thing is going to go and it's going to go fast. Um, we're finalizing a project labor agreement right now, which I hope to be able to announce any day. We're going to have an official signing, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Then Honda wants to break ground on November 15th. And by the summer of 24, uh, they want to be mass producing these electric uh, vehicle batteries. So we're looking at about anywhere from three and a half to four and a half billion dollars worth of construction and infrastructure done in about a 26 month time frame. <laughs> That's a lot of work in a short amount of time. A lot of work. You know, we had Mike Nisley on the show yesterday, you know, Mike pretty well, Ohio state building trades. And, uh, you know, he's, he says he's ready. He says, uh, you know, when you get an opportunity like this, you have to act and act fast. You got to crank up those apprenticeship programs and make sure you want to get as many union brothers and sisters involved in those jobs. Because if you don't, then they're going to go non-union. You don't want to go that route. You don't. You don't want that to happen. So uh, yeah, and that's some of the numbers I shared with with Honda. And they when they asked, you know, what we're doing, and we talked about the expansion of building futures, which made them very happy. We talked about the expansion of driving futures you know, which I've talked to you about in the past because Intel's very concerned about cement mixers, cement trucks. So I know the Teamsters are talking to their cement contractors uh, that do that stuff like Anderson and stuff. And, and we're going to be doing, you know, company-specific, um, company and customer-specific outreach and training uh, to get them the drivers uh, that they need because an Anderson concrete is probably going to have to triple their workforce by this time next year uh, to supply Honda with concrete, to supply Intel, Facebook, Google. Um, you know, there's a rumor out there of an announcement of two new Amazon campuses, not data centers, campuses. So when you're talking about campuses, you're talking about multiple data centers, multiple office buildings. Um, there's tons of work at Ohio State. So, you know, we trained probably about 200 kids to get their CDL and driving futures this year. Our goal mm -hmm. is to do 500 next year. We turned out about 70 kids in building futures. We're, our goal is to turn out 200 next year in building futures uh, in the central Ohio area. Some of the numbers for our apprenticeship programs, the iron workers, which are incredibly busy like everybody else, they build a new training center. They're going to double the space of their training center because they want to double their apprentices because the need is there. IBW, who's at the forefront and, and progressive with not only the training and the pre-apprenticeship, but also the organizing, you know, they've got right around 500 apprentices right now. Their goal is to have 1,000 apprentices by the end of next year. 
So all our ranks are going to grow, not only apprentices, but also journey people as well as we train these people and turn them out and get them ready to build these mega projects. And we want to put ourselves in line and we want to show that we can handle the Hondas, the OSU Medical Centers, Facebooks, Googles, Amazons, Intels, but also be ready for that long list and long chain of suppliers that's going to come down the line and also some of these other mega projects. Uh, that may, we may be mentioned with, and, and we'll be working with the governor's office and Jobs Ohio and One Columbus to try to attract here to Central Ohio to keep the ball rolling for, for a long time in the future. The time is now for the trades, no doubt about that. Dorsey Hager joining us on our live line, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. we got more questions for him later in the show. Fred Redman, it's our first Friday with Fred. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire-stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings, so keep them coming. Let's go back to uh, Central Ohio right now and rejoin Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Dorsey, I hear you were in uh, Las Vegas last week at the uh, Trades Women Build Nations Conference. In fact, we had uh, your friend Gina Walsh on the show yesterday. And she, too, comes from the Insulators Union, like yourself. But I'd like to get your perspective. She said it was great. She said it was awesome. The, the attendance was super. They wanted it to go longer than three days. And she's already looking forward to the next one, which is going to be in the nation's capital next year. So uh, let me hear your point of view, because I know we need, well, we need everybody in the trades right now. Focus, obviously, in that conference was to get more more females involved. So what's your take on it, Dorsey? So I have a couple of takes on it. I think the Women in Trades Conference uh, that Brent and Sean started under the umbrella of NAB2 has grown uh, exponentially in the last few years. Obviously, we're getting more and more women in the trades because they're starting to see the benefits of not only union membership, but also careers in the building trades. But um, there was 2,650 registrants that were out in Vegas last week staying at Hotel Paris. Uh, it was a great opportunity for everybody involved. Gina is absolutely right. Gina does great work for the insulators and their international uh, and all the efforts that she does. 
uh, with everything that she does, not only in recruiting and outreach, but also uh, politically, uh, which is her strong suit coming from a background from Missouri politics. But uh, but I just think it's a, a great uh just a great event that they do. Like I said, it's grown. Uh, the three days was jam packed. Kelly Harrop was there, uh, you know, and, and got a lot out of it on what other councils and other trades and other internationals are doing across the country to grow and attract uh, more women as they continue to grow their female, you know, membership. In the next four years, women are going to make up 52% of the workforce. And right now, I think they make up about 22% of the national building trades workforce. Uh, I know here on a local level, when we do our female-only cohorts, uh, we have tremendous success. The one that we did last year, um, you know, we graduated 100%. We placed 100%. Uh, the average starting wage was right around $32 an hour. Uh, so when you take somebody um, who's, you know, and the reasons that, that women are getting in the trades are, are some of the same reasons uh, that women's that women look to organize and join unions in general is, is the health care, uh, the benefits, but also the pay equity. You know, they do the same work as a man and they make the same amount of money, if not more than a man, because they're working under that collective bargaining agreement. But those are some of the selling points. And as we do a better job and get that uh, get that 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 message out there, I think we're going to be able to grow and attract and, and really uh, 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 help our organizations be able to take care of some of the manpower needs that we discussed at the beginning of this segment. Yeah, it sounds good. All, all the reports I'm getting, it was uh, really, really good. The, the workshops were excellent. And again, they wanted to uh, to go longer than just the three days. So we're definitely going to focus on uh, what's going to happen next year. Right now, we have an election right around the corner. And I know you're busy in your neck of the woods in central Ohio We've got a statewide race, obviously, for governor and one that is really close right now, and that is for Rob Portman's seat. You got Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance. I know you've been stumping. I know the trades are really behind Tim Ryan for all the good reasons. Maybe I, maybe you can share some of those reasons with our listeners. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, uh, Tim's been a tremendous friend of mine for a long time. Uh, whenever he comes to town, we get together. Um, you know, I was at an event with him a couple weeks ago. Uh, I, my wife and I were at a really cool event uh, about a week ago that uh, Dave Matthews hosted for him, and Bernie Kosar was there, his quarterback coach for his uh, for his commercial, and he came out and threw a couple of passes into the crowd, uh, which was awesome. But I think Tim's left it all on the field, to, to use one of his, uh, his analogies. He's left it all on the field. He's done everything he can. He's raised a ton of money. He's talked to a lot of people. He's been on the air for the last six or seven months. Um, I just saw a poll this morning on NBC News that says that the race is within the the margin of error. It's within three points. So I think it's going to come down to the fundamentals of what we talk about every election year is who comes out and votes. So hopefully uh, not only Democrats, but also moderate Republicans that are turned off by J.D. Vance and some of his his, uh, you know, some of his uh, his tactics and his talks um, will come out and they'll support Tim and get Tim across the finish line. You know, it's like Tim says, uh, you know, we need an ass kicker in the U.S. Senate, not an ass. 
worker, and that's J.D. Vance for sure. So Tim's there for working people. He was very instrumental in the CHIPS Act, helping get that passed and, and all the benefits of that, not only Intel and all the jobs and careers that it's going to create, but also the workforce development programs that that money's going to support as well. So that's that's the cherry on top of the Sunday. That's the one we're going to be looking at and paying close attention. Uh, we've got some state house and state senate races here that are going to be very close, that are going to be interesting. Uh, Rich Brown, who's uh, looking to get reelected, was kind of gerrymandered into a 50-50 district. He's in District 5. That's going to be a tough fight, so we're going to keep tabs on that. Tina Maharath in District 3, her Senate seat, again, another 50-50 district. It's going to be very tough for her to beat Michelle Reynolds to get reelected and hold on to that, but we're going to be watching that. Uh, two really good friends of mine that are running for the other two Ohio Senate seats, uh, Herschel Craig, who's at all of our events and a huge supporter of not only our programs, but also building futures. And then Bill DeMora, who a lot of people know statewide, who's ran political campaigns all throughout the state. Uh, you know, he's going to be our next senator in uh, District 25. It's about an 81 percent Senate district. He's the candidate there on the t- on the ballot for the Democrats. So I'm excited to see Bill win and join the Ohio Senate. And I think he'll be a great voice for working people and unions. That's the first thing he mentions anywhere he goes or anywhere he speaks. Uh, a couple other people in the House that are good friends of ours, pro-labor people. My state rep, Tracy Richardson, she's going to get reelected. Mark Johnson, who just retired as head of the building trades in southern Ohio, he's going to get reelected. He's doing a great job for us in labor. And then some county races, obviously. Erica Crowley, who supports building futures and everything that we're trying to do. Michael Stinziano, that's the county commissioner and county auditor. They should be fine. And then the the judicial appeals courts, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. People forget about judges and get lost on the ballot when they get down to the bottom. But those appeals court judges are important. And our endorsed candidates are Kristen Boggs, Julia Dorian, Carly Edelstein, and David Leland. We hope all four of them win because they're going to do great work. And we got some uh, Supreme Court races, too, to keep our eye on. So important that people get uh, educated on the issues. So important. You're you're absolutely right. You know, we like I said, we've talked about it in the past on your show, and these these judicial races are so important. The Supreme Court races take a lot of the uh, a lot of the air out of the balloon, and people see all the ads and stuff, and, and that's going to be interesting. But these down ballot uh, court races, especially when it comes to court of appeals and common pleas, those are really really important races as well. Dorsey Hager on our live line today, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. I know you got a busy weekend. You take care. We'll. Uh, We'll tear it all apart and, and dissect the uh, election in the next uh, edition of America's Workforce with you, okay? Post-Thanksgiving, pre-Christmas. We'll be getting ready for the end of the year and looking forward to 2023. So, uh, And I'll keep you abreast if there's any uh, mega job announcements in the next 30 days, but uh, we'll see. Maybe we can get a breather in here So as we there prepare for Honda and Intel. I hear you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Fred Redman. Number two man in the AFL-CIO. It's our first Friday with Fred. Back in a few. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union in there. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. And if you like a show, remember this. Share that show because we count all the downloads. And uh, we are zeroing in in the top 10% of all podcasts in America. So we certainly do appreciate that, and we appreciate you listening to America's Workforce. All right, it's the first Friday of November. That means on line number three, we have Fred Redmond, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, steelworker since 1973, working the election. I mean, Fred, where are you going to be today? I know you're going from state to state to state, but you're in Washington now, but where are you going to be later today? Well, I'm getting ready to leave Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm going to Pennsylvania. We're going to do a rally in Pittsburgh this evening with uh, John Fetterman, and then I'm going to leave there and go to Ohio, spend some time with Tim Ryan. And from there, uh, I'm going to, on Sunday, I'm going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, look, I mean, we're beating the bushes. Uh, It's countdown. And, uh, you know, we have to uh, make sure that we rally our voters and get the vote out. This is so critical. Absolutely. I saw Obama was in, uh, what was it, in Nevada and Wisconsin? Nevada, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta do a shout out here for the culinary workers. Well, all the unions are engaged, but man, they are working it over in Nevada. That's going to be a pretty close one, isn't it? It's going to be close. It's it's going to be close. But you know, the culinary workers, you know, they have a very very uh, unique program where you know how the culinary industry was hit during COVID. They haven't fully recovered. But what they have done during that period of COVID, I mean, they built the army in Nevada of uh, activists and canvassers, and they're uh, hitting the bricks. I mean, they're hitting the bricks. They're doing the phone calls. They're knocking on the doors. And Nevada is going to be close, but we think that the culinary workers, to their credit, can make the difference in Nevada. Yeah, the races of Georgia and uh, Pennsylvania, as you indicated, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin. It would be good to see uh, Ron Johnson disappear over there. I mean, th- the messaging, too, I-, I think Obama was talking about this as far as these candidates and seniors. Social Security could disappear. Yeah. It could disappear here under some of these candidates. That, well, they never liked it from the start. We know that. But it's scary, and it's important that people are getting educated on these issues. With that being said, Fred, are we connecting? You've been stumping around the country here. Are they getting the message on what's at stake in this election? Well, we think so. We we think that, um, you know, we have tried to portray this election for exactly what it is. You know, this is an attack on the social contract. 
you know, the document that the Republicans, um, you know, didn't avoid for, didn't intend for it to get out, but popped up for a couple of minutes on their website. We was able to, to take a look at it. And, and, you know, their plan for America is really an attack on the social service net. You know, when you talk about bills like, you know, having to renew and vote on the uh, continuation of Social Security every year, when you're talking about, you know, reducing Medicare and Medicaid, then, you know, this is a serious attack on seniors, most of all, but on all working people. So, you know, we're doing everything that we can to get the information out because, uh, you know, this election has so many serious consequences that we have to make sure that people know what's at stake. So we're working it. I mean, you know, but the message seems to be resonating. I mean, people are, there's a lot of energy out there, and we think there's going to be some um, good surprises on Tuesday night. Well, we're hoping for that. I'm, I'm wondering here, we all know about what happened in Nancy Pelosi's house last week, and uh, I guess yeah. uh, Paul Pelosi has finally uh, left the hospital. He's recuperating at home. I'm wondering if yeah. that's going to change anything here. And I know Biden took to the airways the other day to talk about mm-hmm. this and, and how toxic our politics have become and the fact that you've got election deniers on the ballot. So in other words, if they win the election, it's okay. But if they don't win the election, then there's fraud. How do you deal with something like that, Fred? I mean, these are crazy times that we live in right now. Well, these are crazy times. First of all, uh, you know, we're glad to see uh, Paul Pelosi being able to come home and recuperate. It was a very tragic and and just sad event that took place at his home. Um, and, you know, uh, Leah Shula, our president, as soon as we got the news, you know, sent out a uh, press release on behalf of uh, organized labor wishing uh, Paul and Nancy all of the best. And, uh, you know, but it's a testament uh, flash to the state of our politics right now and the mood of the country in some circles around the United States. Uh, the president was right on point. Uh, you know, I mean, look, we, we, I, I'm old enough to remember the days where we were able to disagree. Okay, we were able to disagree. We were able to engage in legitimate debate. But uh, there's never been a time in our politics where we have stooped to, uh, you know, this lower denominator in our country. And the thing that was really uh, capturing for me was the response from some members of the Republican Party and the ridicule and the jokes that was being made about an 82-year-old man being attacked in his house. And, uh, you know, look, that's where we are, okay? But I think the president knocked it out the park the other night and really, really having an honest discussion with the American people and expressing to the American people how precious our democracy is and how vulnerable it is right now. And, you know, we talk about these election deniers, then, you know, like you said, I mean, you know, their intent is to embrace those elections that they like the result, and they're going to deny the ones that they didn't. You know, we're hoping that the American people finally, you know, uh, could get to the point where 
they say enough is enough. And the American people, and particularly workers around this country, really grasp the concept of democracy and freedom and what it means for all of us. Freedom is on the ballot, no doubt about that. A couple more questions here. I, I know the mm-hmm. AFL-CIO over the years has done a really, really good job, and they left it up to a state federations to groom our brothers and sisters in a political office, whether it's a school board, a city council, state yeah. assembly. And I know New Jersey has led the pact on that. And uh, California, right. there's, a, there's a Latino sister. Uh, I mm-hmm. forgot which union she's involved, but uh, and her union is helping her. I, I'm sure, well, I don't want to put you on the spot here as far as account goes, but I know it's been increasing each and every year. Uh, can you speak to that? And 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 even if you you know win or lose, the important thing is you got to get involved. Yeah. You got to get involved. You got to start somewhere. And I'm just wondering, is this a program that you're going to nurture in years to come? What's the story on that? Well, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, you hit it on the head. The model program that uh, we've been encouraging state fans to look at around the country is the New Jersey program, you know, ran by our state fair president, Charlie Wakani. And uh, that's a program that we have put over close to 300 people uh, over the years, you know, since the inception of the program. Uh, we've put over 300 people in state houses and local school boards, municipalities, and, uh, you know, congressional districts in the state of New Jersey, because what we were able to do was, first of all, uh, create a boot camp in New Jersey where, uh, you know, we actually train people how to run for office through the program. And then we have a uh, coordinated effort amongst all the labor in the state to, uh, you know, make sure that these folks get maximized, you know, maximize their support. And then, you know, we uh, support these candidates with financial resources, whether they're running for the school board, city council, state legislature, whatever the case may be. So, you know, uh, state feds have been coalescing around the New Jersey program. It's been emanated in other states around the country, and we're starting to see the fruits of that work. Uh, Union members around the country on the ballot this year in the United States, we have close to 300 union members that's running for various positions throughout the country, you know, in their local municipalities and their local cities. And, uh, you know, what we're starting to do is to really capture that, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're trying to develop this into a national program where we could take uh, our union members and, you know, give them the tools and the support that they need in order to run for local office. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. And, you know, the groundwork for that took place. You're exactly right in the state of New Jersey. Yeah. You got to build from the bottom up. And right now we all know what happened to politics with uh, citizens United. And there's so, I think there's a, I think they broke the record on, uh, political commercials this year. I heard a figure. It was like $16 billion or something like that. But yeah. it's it's all because of a Supreme Court decision. And again, how do those people get on the court? I mean, you could, right, you know, you could, right. you could follow that process there. And, and that right. being said, those of you listening right now, make sure you're educated on your judges because it doesn't matter if there is a law that's passed 
a judge can knock that law right out. I mean, completely knock it out. They're the ones that have all the power. It's so important. And they're so far down on the ballot when it comes to uh, judicial elections. One more thing here before you go. You're keeping your eye on Tennessee here. You know, they want to codify right to work in their constitution. How do you feel about that one, Fred? Well, we're keeping our eye on it. Uh, This is going to be an uphill battle. You know, as we know, the state of Tennessee is uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 percent unionized. But, uh, you know, look, there's an aggressive effort by the Tennessee State Fed to, um, you know, push back on the referendum. I think we've had more discussions in the state of Tennessee than anywhere in the South, really taking the time to explain to people and working in coordination with, uh, you know, civil rights group, with our churches, you know, really explaining the effects of right to work and what the right to work really means. You know, it's about more than just saving a few dollars a month on union dues. It's about uh, your future in the workplace. So, you know, Tennessee uh, is, 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 is a state that, um, you know, has decided to push the envelope. We, we feel that this is a coordinated effort. Tennessee was a trial state. And, uh, you know, we're pushing back hard, you know, on the referendum. But the thing that that was really been a challenge to us, but uh, we, you know, was able to really break through in terms of explaining to workers throughout the state of Tennessee the effects of right to work and what it really means. So and then I just want to mention, by the way, that as a result of Tennessee, we have a referendum on the ballot in Illinois, similar, similar to the referendum that was on the ballot in Michigan a few years ago, you know, uh, prohibiting uh, right to work from being placed in the uh, Illinois Constitution. So, look, you know, like to say, all politics is local. This battle is, is uh, you know, taking shape at the state and the municipal level. It shows where corporations is willing to spread the money around. But uh, Tennessee will be interesting. We'll see what's happening. But we have some strong activists on the ground through our Central Labor Council and our state feds that's really, really has sending workers in Tennessee to right to work boot camp. And uh, we're explaining to them the effects. So we'll see what happens. But this is going to be an uphill challenge. You got it. Fred Redman, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. Definitely check that out and also check out their uh, voter education campaign by going to that website. You take care, stay safe, and we'll talk about okay. it all next month. Okay, brother? Absolutely. Take care, Flash. Thank you. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Monday, we're checking in with the iron workers and the greater Kansas building trades. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.